welcome to Merge Community Church. Uh, looks like we got baseball back in the mix, and there's crazy information changing every day, uh, but we are glad that you're here this morning. Uh, if you will, please uh, get up, go give elbows to everybody, see how everybody's doing, and then we'll continue with worship right after that. Ready, set, go.
God to sing the tough words wherever you lead whatever it costs me all I want is you Jesus all I want is you so I challenge you right now to pray to set your heart right before as you sing the power in these words Father I pray we understand we're about to see wherever you lead me whatever it costs me all I want is you Jesus all I want is you I know there are going to be hearts in this place I know there are seasons that we go through in our lives and our journeys where these words are difficult to sing these words are difficult to pray these words are difficult to to operate by I pray that you would make our hearts right as we sing this song, these words. I'll follow you anywhere. We sing him, we sing this prayer. Thank you. 
Father, we thank you for this morning. For all my days, oh yes, I will. I will exalt you. I will praise you. I will worship you. Because you are a God of love that never changes. You're a God that always always picked me up, has always dusted me off. You're a God that looked at the thief on the cross and said, surely you will be with me in paradise. You're a loving Father. You never change.
because he is a God that never changes, we no longer have to be held in bondage to fear. We no longer have to fear death. We get to live boldly each and every day understanding that if our King is for us, then nothing could ever stop us. Constantly surrounded by His arms, by His grace, by His mercy, by His love. And because of it, we get to together collectively this morning worship the name above all names. So I challenge you. Do that.
Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, we made it all the way through 9 last week. Congratulations. Uh, we did something together. And so, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, as we've been traveling together through this incredible letter to the Hebrews, we've, we've strived almost for 18 weeks. Now, not, co- not uh, in a row, but for 18 weeks, we've tried to keep our attention on the powerful and, and really the, the necessary work of Jesus, which really isn't that hard if we pay attention to what the writer is trying to do because he, he's continually drawing our focus. And then, then what he does, he just dares us. He says, I, I dare you to try and find something greater. I, I dare you to find someone or something more fulfilling or, or, or more capable of bringing uh, a greater satisfaction both today and uh, really uh, for, forevermore. And, and so as we approach these verses this morning, we're, we're going to be kind of working toward uh, turning our eyes upon Jesus, especially when we get uh, to verse 14. Now we're going to begin at verse 1, but we're going to get uh, all the way to 14 there. And and really, it's, it's going to take just a little bit of time to kind of set the context for why verse 14 should be celebrated so much. And so, so I think perhaps um, a, a good place or a helpful place to, to start is to remember this scene um, of, of what happened when Peter turned his eyes on the power and the grace of Jesus. Uh, in fact, in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, uh, Peter will make a a recognition or a realization, I should say, about who Jesus is. And, and he simply says this. He goes, says, but when, when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw Jesus, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Uh, and I know, you're thinking, this is a really fun way to start a sermon, right? Uh, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And the truth is, Seeing Jesus clearly causes us to be deeply conscious of our own sinfulness. And, and really, 
our our unworthiness to really be in His presence. And so so this can cause some here to, to bind themselves in guilt. And uh, But this, this awareness, and this is what I want you to know, this awareness, uh, as we'll hopefully see, is a wonderful thing. To understand the gravity of our own sin, uh, to understand the beauty of Jesus is such a, a gift to us. In fact, I think, I think most of us are in a, a deadly dream world much of the time when it comes to how casually we consider uh, sin and, and really how we believe God feels about it. Uh, we, we worry more about uh, being stopped by a policeman than we are uh, for the, than we are about the seriousness of our sin. And, and, but, but sin is infinitely serious. It will never not be. Uh, in fact, in, in, in God's anger at sinners is the biggest issue uh, in every single one of our lives, whether we know it or not, whether we acknowledge it uh, or not. In fact, uh, several times in Hebrews alone, we've kind of come back to this thought uh, and we've been warned about the anger that God has that burns against uh, sin. And in fact, for example, in, in chapter 3, uh, verses 10 and 11, it says, Therefore, uh, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, this is what God says, they shall not enter rest. Now, to build, to be blind or to be oblivious to this wrath of God against sinners is incredibly, it's dangerous. Uh, it's, it's, like, it's like not being able to smell the gas in your house and knowing that at the smallest spark, the whole thing just explodes. Uh, and and so, so, so the reason that it's so dangerous is that if you're blind to this reality of God's wrath, you won't take steps to find a remedy for your sin condition, or you won't find a remedy to escape God's holy anger. And, and it's, it's important to note that, that I, don't, I don't say this to burden you. I don't say this to guilt you, and I don't mention this to paint a picture of an unloving or an uncaring or, or just an only angry Heavenly Father, because nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, our Heavenly Father is, is loving and compassionate, and, and because He is holy, there must be a way for sinful people to have a relationship with Him. Not because we've earned it, but because He is made that necessary. He has decided that. And, and so what we have been seeing these past few weeks is really how He has made this restoration possible in Jesus. And so, so I say again, this is wonderful what happened to Peter when he fell at Jesus' feet and declares his own sinfulness. This is not an experience to be avoided, but, but to be cherished, because when that happens, the Lord gives relief. And, and so, so what I want to do in these verses is I hope to help us better understand the importance of this passage uh, in, in five parts, right? In your talk notes, there should be five parts, right? Is that, is that true? All right. Um, and so what I want to do, I want to do it this way because, uh, well, honestly, uh, this week as I've prepared, I've struggled um, at, at times with, with how to filter what the writer is saying uh, by how he structures uh, these points. And so what I've tried to do, uh, really for my own help, is write out the main point of each of these sections and then explore their, their implications. That's, that's all I want to do. In fact, Hebrews has been uh, and has continues to be a difficult book to teach because we're dealing with big and important matters. Uh, we are. In fact, uh, we're dealing with big and important matters in regards to how we relate to God and, and the role that Jesus plays in making that relationship possible. These are, these are matters we should be meditating on. We should be diving into because they surround the most important aspects of the believer's life. In fact, uh, it, it's one thing to be able to say that God loves me in Jesus, and it's quite another to understand the depth of that love. Uh, because it's understanding the depth is where worship really takes off. And, and so as, as we break up this passage, these 18 verses into five parts, I, I want you to know I'm not trying to make it understandable uh, to you as if you were only 
able to understand simple concepts. Um, I, I present it this way only because I am only <laughs> able to understand simple concepts. And, and so hopefully these points that I'm sharing uh, is really it's my way of reconciling what I've read in efforts to see Jesus more clearly. Uh, and I think that's ultimately that's the goal. Anytime we open up the word, uh, we want to see Jesus more clearly. And so so when we see stuff that's difficult to chew on, uh, we have to do our part to better understand it. And so, so let's just start in chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, it says, For since the law, okay, we've been talking about the law quite a bit, uh, as prescribed in the Old Testament, specifically in Exodus. Uh, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, it can never make perfect those who draw near. Now, draw near to who? To God. Good answer. Everybody, you got that one right. Good job. Um, and so so here's, here's our first truth. Right? From number, verse number one, the law cannot make us perfect. The law cannot make us perfect. And part of what makes this verse challenging to understand is really the, the further explanations in regards to the argument. So, so if you're able to strip away uh, the extra explanation, not, not in the sense of ignoring it, but in setting it aside just for a moment, verse 1 could read something like this. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, it can never make perfect those who draw near. Okay? So, so now this is the, fa- the issue that faces every human being in the history of the world. So the law is given to us, but sin separates us from God. Now the law can bring sacrifices and offerings to cover sin, but it will, as we're going to see in a mo- plainly in a moment, it cannot take away sin. It can't do it. And so, so we mentioned this because a major misconception when it comes to finding forgiveness of our sins is the belief that God is evaluating us in regards to, to just being good and just being upright and just being moral and just opening doors for old ladies, right? Uh, and, and not flipping people off when you're driving down the road. You know, that if I do that and I, if I don't do that, then somehow God's like, that's my boy. And he's like, all right, come on in. Uh, that and, and the problem with that is the argument gets built out that that when I die, God will not turn away a good person from getting into heaven. That's, that's the way the argument gets built out. I'm a good person. You say, well, why, do you, why should you go to heaven? Well, I'm a good person, and I'm not a mean person, and I'm not an evil person. In fact, I can find you a, a million other people who are worse than I am, right? And, and the problem is that when people say, God would not turn away a good person from getting into heaven. The issue is that he absolutely would. And he tells us as much. So, so drawing near to God is not a matter of goodness. It's not. It's a matter of holiness. So what we need is to find a way to be made holy. As the writer will say, to be made perfect. And so holiness and being made perfect today are, are two phrases, two words that are being interchanged at the same time. So God demands perfection in order to establish relationship. And you say, well, my goodness, who does he think he is? Well, he's God. And he's right. So he says, in order for our relationship to be restored, you must live in a perfect way. So God demands perfection in order to establish relationship. And this is why Jesus is so very important to us as we're going to continue seeing in these verses. So the writer says that the same sacrifices offered every year cannot make you perfect because it is but a shadow of the true form. So he'll he'll, he'll explain this further in our next section. Uh, Verse 2. Otherwise... Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. 
But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So, so every year, the Jewish people would have to go to the priest and present an offering so that they could have forgiveness for the sins that they created, they, um, they had in that past year. For, verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So here's the truth that we're learning, is that the law was sufficient but not sustaining in regards to forgiveness. The law was sufficient, but it was not sustaining in regards to forgiveness. So up to these verses, the point has been that Christ's death for sin replaces the provision for sin in the Old Testament law. That's what we've been saying for like four weeks now. And so, so it's an elaborate argument, and we don't really have the time to dive back into the, the details of it, but the point is fairly clear, it's fairly straightforward, that the law prescribed repeated animal sacrifices for sin. We don't do that anymore. And the main re- the reason we don't do that anymore is because of Jesus. But, but the very repetition, as the writer is talking to people who were still doing this, the very repetition of, of the sacrifices showed that they did not perfect the sinner. That, that nothing decisive and, and nothing once for all happened to deal with sin. And so, so because if, if they had been perfected once for all, then the sacrifices would have stopped being offered. The need for it would have ended. And, and so the point is that the prescribed repetition of the sacrifices for sin in the Old Testament law is a, is a built-in testimony to their inadequacy. Um, they did not perfect the people. They did not deal with sin decisively or, or finally, or, or as the writer will say, once for all. And so let's pay attention because verse 5 is going to remind us that our story needed a hero. Okay, Verse 5, consequently, uh, and that's just a fun word to circle and underline because it changes what has just been said about the Old Testament law. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold... I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are all, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. And so all that to say this, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been, and he's going to throw in a good word here, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. So here's our truth from verses 5 through 10. Jesus serves as the provision for my need of a better sacrifice. This is all the, this is all the writers are saying. That the sacrifices, as he's writing to a Jewish culture back in the, the days of Judaism, he said, he said all along, you need a better sacrifice. You need a more sustaining, more sufficient sacrifice. And what I'm letting you know is that Jesus is that provision. And so, so the writer refers to uh, Psalm 40 in verses 5 through 8, and he shows that already in the Old Testament itself, it is plain that the sacrifices and the offerings of animals were not God's main plan in dealing with sin. In fact, as verse 4 says, it is impossible. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So, so God knew that from the beginning when he commanded that bulls and goats be offered, that they are but shadows, as verse 1 says. And so the, the main plan... And here's what, this is important to understand, because if you don't get this, you're going to have a hard time trusting God in every other area of your life. That the plan was always Christ. Always. Uh, and this is, this is what all the shadows were pointing to. And at the end of verse 9, it says that he does away with the first in order to establish the second. That, that the first will of God was that there would be an age of shadows. Uh, there would be a kind of 2,000-year lesson book with historical flannel graphs and all those kind of things to prepare us to understand 
what Christ really did for us on the cross. And this is why uh, verse 10, Dwight clarifies, in case you're just now joining the show, that we are, and he uses a big word, he says we are sanctified. In other words, we are purified. We are dedicated. We are consecrated through the better sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all. Once for all. Meaning that when Jesus died, he died once and for all for the sins of mankind. He doesn't have to come back alive to die again for us because that would be a continual offering. It doesn't work that way. And so we're going to see this in verses 11 through 14. Just the power and the beauty of what this means for us. Verse 11 And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, this is very important, which is what we're building to, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So here's what that means. That my past, my present, and my future sins find forgiveness in Jesus' single sacrifice. My past my present and my future sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done. So so the greatest difference between what Christ did and what the priests of the Old Testament did is summed up briefly in verses 11 and 12. It says that the priests would stand daily and they would offer repeated sacrifices uh, that Christ has offered and now sits at the right hand of God. That that the, the sitting means at least three things have happened. That, 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 number one, the work is done. That, that he does not stand daily to offer sacrifices for sins. That, number two, that God is satisfied with that sacrifice. He's so satisfied to the point that God, that the Father honors the Son with the seat at his right hand to show how fully satisfied he is about the debt for our sins. Then number three, it means that Christ, together with his Father, is sovereign over all of his enemies, according to verse 13. There is, there is not a force that can withstand. There's not an opposition that can rise up to defeat him. So in other words, everything that Christ does to accomplish will be accomplished. And so this is why verse 14 should be bolded and, and underlined and highlighted and and flaming arrows shooting out of it, and anything that draws your attention uh, to this great truth, that by the sacrifice of himself, Jesus has provided for us an offering acceptable to God. That, that, then that, that offering is sufficient to restoring our relationship with him. So, so let's unpack this by, by connecting this truth to verses 15 through 18. It says this, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying this is the covenant he brings us back to we've seen this a couple weeks now brings us back to jeremiah 31 and a promise of the new covenant that jesus brings right this is the covenant that i will make with them after those days declares the lord i will put my laws on their hearts and i will write them on their minds and and then he adds i will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So here's what that tells us. Is that because God loves me, Jesus is the Son who sacrifices for me. That's what it is. Too often we we create a misconception of, of what Jesus does for us as if, as if he's as if God just wants to pummel us and he wants to ruin us and Jesus is like, hey, I'm just going to step in here, right? And what you have to understand is that God's love is motivated by sending Jesus. And so because he 
wants relationship with us, he makes that relation, the way of that relationship possible. And so, so in saying this, there, there's two things that relate directly to you. That number one, Christ has perfected his people and it's already complete. Christ has perfected his people and it's already complete. In fact, verse 14 says he has perfected. He has done it. And he has done it not just for today, but for all time. And so, so the perfecting of his people is complete and it's complete forever. So now the question is, does that mean that Christians don't sin? Right? Does that mean that Christians don't get sick? Does it mean that they don't make mathematical errors in school? That they are already, uh, does that mean that they are already per- perfect in, in our behavior and in our attitudes? And, and I think there's one clear reason in this very verse for knowing that that's not the case. And that, that comes in the last phrase of verse 14. It says, for all those who are being sanctified, who so, so who are the people that have been perfected for all time? Well, the, the writer will say, was well, those who are being sanctified. And this is, this is why tense is, is so very important. Because those being sanctified are not yet fully sanctified in the sense of committing no more sin. Otherwise, the writer wouldn't say they are being sanctified. There would be no need to even say that. So... So here we have this, um, well, really, it's, it's a shocking combination uh, that, that the very people who have been perfected are the ones who are being sanctified. Uh, and so we can safely say here that, that perfected in the way that we understand that word is not in the way that the writer intends. Uh, I know, Cannon, I know. So it doesn't mean that we are sinlessly perfect in this life. So, so what does it mean, right? In verses eight, uh, 15 through 18, uh, the, the writer gives us an answer, and he explains what, mean, what he means by quoting Jeremiah again on the new covenant, which Jesus uh, seals by his blood. There is total forgiveness for our sins. So, so verses 17 and 18 explains the perfect, the, I'm sorry, explains the present perfection in terms of forgiveness. And so what that means is this, that, that Christ's people are perfected now in the sense that God puts away all our sin. That God puts it away. Verse, uh, we can go back to 926 for this. That God puts away all our sin, that he forgives us, and he never brings those sins to mind again as ground for condemnation. Okay? That's important for us to hear. Because some of us have locked ourselves down in the guilt of our sins that God has said, I've forgiven you for. And we use that as a reason for not approaching God. We say, how can God take me after what I've done? And he says, it's not about what you've done, it's about what I have done. It's about what I have done to restore and to replace and to rebuild you into something that is beautiful and that is holy and that is perfect. That's what he tells us. That's the truth of the gospel, guys. That he takes those sins and he says, yes, those happen, but the sacrifice for those sins has been sufficiently paid for. Been paid for. So we don't have to. We just sang that, didn't we? Let us, let us declare our freedom that I'm no longer a slave to sin. I've been broken free, not because of my own abilities, not because I've walked in and I've kicked in the, the gates of heaven and I'm like, hey, check out how good I am. Check out how great I am. He says, says, no, it's because of what Christ has done for you. And so all of our affection, all of our focus goes straight to Him. So in this sense, we stand before a holy God, perfect. That, that when He looks on us, He does not impute, He does not credit any of our sins against us, past, present, or future. He does not count our sins against us. And so the argument gets, you've got, you've got to be real careful, because the argument gets built that, well, if my sins are forgiven in my future, then why don't I just keep going on sinning? And the reason you don't is because a price has been paid for your sins. And Paul will tell us you don't honor the gospel 
I'm not saying I'm just going to live in sin because I've found the loophole. Then number two, what, what be, how this is relevant to us, is that you can live in confidence that you stand perfect in the eyes of your Heavenly Father as you are growing up in Jesus. That when He sees you as a perfect Heavenly Father, He doesn't see you through the guilt that you have. He has joy that, that we're going to find out in a couple, uh, it might be next week. Um, I haven't memorized all of Hebrews, just, you know, everything but maybe next week. I don't know. Um, but it says we can, we can walk with confidence into the throne room of God. That when he sees us, there's joy in seeing us. Again, not because you're that great because you ain't. Okay? But because of what he sees as he sees us through the lens of his son. So hear me when I say this. You can, you can have assurance that you stand perfected and completed in the eyes of your heavenly father. Not because you are perfect now, but precisely because you are not. And you are not perfect now, but you are being sanctified. You are being made holy. That by faith in God's promises, you are moving away from from your lingering imperfections and temptations towards sin, and you are moving toward holiness. Or at least, we should be. We should be. Now there's disciplines where we're re- that we are responsible for on that end, and then there's the work of the Holy Spirit on the other. That's, that's how we grow up in Jesus. Fine, let's start wrapping this up. Okay, so, so we said, said a lot of stuff, Right? We said we said a lot of stuff. You guys have been very patient with me as I've kind of worked through my own reconciliation of how I understand these verses. We've said this. We've said that the law cannot make us perfect. We've said that the law was sufficient, but it was not sustaining in regards to uh, our stack to forgiveness. We've said that, that Jesus serves as the provision for my need of a better sacrifice. We've said that, that my past present and future sins find forgiveness in Jesus's single sacrifice and then we've said that because God loves me Jesus is the son who sacrifices for me this is the good news of the gospel this is the good news and so so really what I think stands to be reconciled in our hearts is an answer to an exposing question and I like asking you good hard, exposing questions. So based on everything we've read, does your faith, as it is today, right this very moment, does your faith make you eager to forsake sin and to pursue holiness? Because that's the tension, isn't it? That's, that's the tension that we feel. Do I, do I really want to do away with sin and do I really want to explore and pursue holiness? Because the answer to that question reveals where our trust truly lies. Because all sin, regardless of how enticing that it is, it has a shelf life, and it has a price. And, And for the believer, we get to do is we get to celebrate that the price was in Incredibly large. Incredibly large. To the fact that a life was laid down on our behalf. That this is this is the kind of faith that, that in the midst of imperfection can look to Christ and say, You've already equipped me and perfected me in your sight. This is a faith that says, Christ, today I have sinned, but I hate my sin. For you have written your law on my heart, and I long to do it. And you are working in me what is pleasing in your sight. So I, I hate the sin that I still do, and the sinful thought that I that I contemplate. And, and in this hatred of my sin, and in my, my meager advancements in holiness, I rejoice that according to your promise in, in Hebrews 10, 14, I have been perfected for all time by a single offering, yourself. 
that that is who we celebrate, guys. That's who we get to celebrate. And when you, when you think of, of, of who we get to celebrate, what does it say about how much we want to brag about how great we are in his presence? I think it just reveals our own uh, Im- immaturity. And I want to say that, that's the kindest word I can find. I can find a whole bunch of other ones that make you upset. But we'll just use immaturity today. And what the gospel is calling out of us is a response to our understanding of who Jesus is, what he has done to bring us into relationship with God. So again, there's there's no casual way. There's no casual way to respond to that. Jesus never never gives you a casual way. He says, it's all of me. It's all of me for all of you. The anthem of your life becomes about me. The footsteps of your life become about me. Does that mean I can't be a father? No. It means that when you are a father, that you are a godly man leading your family. Does that mean I can't be a spouse? No. It means that when you're a wife, you model the gospel in how you treat your husband. Does that mean I can't be a, an employee or employer? No. It means that the gospel becomes the pursuit of your life. The job becomes secondary to it. It becomes this avenue through which people who are far from God find life in Jesus in your manner of living. And we always come back to this. Because God loves us, He sends His Son. And because of that, this week, our desire is to love God by... Please stand with me. Make a couple things available. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we want to give you that opportunity today. We're going to have some people over on this side. Uh, they would love to answer questions. They would love to walk with you in that. Maybe, maybe you have had a moment in your life where you've given Jesus your heart, but then you took it back. And you say, no, I, I need to be made right with him. It's the beauty of the forgiveness of all your sins. Is that it's about a refocus. It's about a, a reshaping of your life to make his way the anthem of your life. Maybe you just need a prayer of support for that. We want to we walk with you there too. I love you guys. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you care for us so much to send your son. We love you. In Jesus' name.